You're listening to Market Champions, a podcast on navigating the financial markets. Here's your host, Shabas Prakash. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Market Champions. Today we've got Mr. Otavio Costa from Crescat Capital. Crescat is a hedge fund based in Denver, and their global macro hedge fund has returned 10.5% since 2006, compared to just about 6 or 7% for the S&P 500. So thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I look forward for uh, to this conversation. So uh, what's... So, how exactly did you get into finance and investing? What's your background and your journey towards becoming a portfolio manager? Well, I was born and raised in Brazil, lived there uh, most uh, uh, large part of my, my life, and then moved here to the U.S. Uh, to play tennis in, uh, in college. Um, and, um, and from there, I came here right at the uh, at the at the midst of the of the whole global financial crisis. Um, a lot of lessons from that, undoubtedly, um, and also um, from college uh, overall by, you know, learning about business cycles and, um, and, and seeing and living through a, uh, a real re- recessionary period and, and how that all unfolds usually. Um, uh, I've always been very uh, involved with, uh, with reading and, uh, and, and trying to uh, uh, get my, my, my feet in, in, in the door of, of, of finance in general. It's, it's not very easy to... Uh, especially for a foreigner to uh, to be uh, become part of this of this industry in a more analytical way, um, but then uh, you know after uh, moving to Colorado after college, I I became um, I, I met Kevin Smith uh, actually on a tennis court, and uh, started helping him more in the marketing side of his business, uh, which uh, Kevin never uh, did a lot of marketing uh, in for Crescat um, and. So I was a little more involved with that part, and obviously I was a lot more in love with the analytical work than than uh, the marketing, and um, became uh, more interested in that, and started to really um, to really spend most of my time doing research in the markets, um, and started helping him to uh, build other uh, themes, and, and especially macro themes that were not so much a part of uh, Crescent at the time. Um, so. From there, I kind of evolved, uh, you know, covering more emerging markets, and and then uh, that became our big theme, which is China, uh, credit and currency bubble, um, and um, started to really uh, use his uh, ideas of building models, macro, you know, especially equity fundamental models, uh, but using the same ideas uh, on the macro side and building macro models, and I think that's where uh, really started helping to evolve the investment process of Crescat. Um, and from there, I started to cover more of global macro, and 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 now um, I am a portfolio manager along with Kevin Smith of Crescent Capital. Uh, that's uh, I'd say that's my overall uh, or overview of, uh, of of my career. And you've built a very impressive macro model. I mean, uh, um, thank you. Uh, <laughs> we, we actually, you know, surprisingly, we 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 build a lot more than uh, what we post on social media. Um, but uh, it's just uh, just a way of, of looking at 
um, of, of the business cycle and 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 looking for ways of, of ranking the business cycle and and, and figuring out uh, where we are exactly and what are assets that perform well during those periods of times and um, you know using uh, statistics uh, as and history as uh, as your friend. Um, mm-hmm. So you know we we use and abuse of <laughs> of those of those ideas and um, and then mix with our discretionary views about the markets to uh, to really build um, uh, build up our, our our themes our macro themes uh, and and then our our positions in the portfolio. What are your thoughts on the coronavirus and the effect it's had on the markets and the global economy so far? Um, I think it's it's um, you know it's 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 definitely a, a huge impact that we've had. I mean, I think that's no one would uh, really disagree with that. Uh, I'm surprised we went from uh, you know a recession to uh, to more depression. of a, a depression, and then <laughs> and then now we're at euphoria uh, levels in my view. Uh, so very interesting, but I think the will be will have a lot of the impacts or implications from this recession of having over 40 million unemployed Americans, and so I think the acuity of of this problem will become more more prevalent, um, especially when this unemployment insurance uh, program expires. Um, and and it's I think what's exposing also is is the issues with the government debt situation, uh, which not I don't think a lot of people are paying attention to. Um, how much the issuance of of government debt uh, is is really dwarfing even the monetary stimulus more recently. So, I think that's that's only gonna uh, you know continue to uh, to worsen, and um, I don't see a path going back from there. Um, another thing that I think of has changed significantly that I don't see uh, the way it's way back anytime soon is a part of the consumer behavior in terms of of becoming more of a uh, becoming more, going more to the savings mode rather than spending mode. Um, I think that that's that's a, a real a real trend that will probably take some uh, some time to revert uh, back to normal, and will have implications on earnings and um, and, and and other uh, fundamentals of the economy. So, I think uh, uh, those are the, the the biggest issues. And when you really look at the real economy, especially on, you know, I, I posted a chart maybe two weeks ago looking at. Uh, TSA travelers, and if you look at um, you know just uh, restaurants uh, openings and um, all sorts of measurements, I'm not seeing the sort of V-shaped recovery that um, most uh, uh, I guess now Wall Street is starting to really believe. It didn't believe at the beginning, but I think now it's becoming uh, more of a, a believable story for most. Um, the other thing is, you know, we've had a uh, labor markets um, uh, for a lot of people have begun to strengthen because of the numbers that came out no farm payrolls last week. But when you think about it, I mean that, that was the best monthly change ever uh, that we had for for that. We would we just need another four, uh, I guess uh, almost I believe six months or so of the same level of improvement to see uh, us regaining uh, the the same strength of labor markets that we had prior to the coronavirus. I'm not sure that's going to happen in anytime soon. Um, so uh, I'm still very bearish. I think for a lot of people, this gives us a, another opportunity to to uh, to you know look at, um, at ways of of positioning uh, to some sort of issues that we can have here in the near term. Um, but you know there are other issues that are being sort of exacerbated by by the coronavirus. 
uh, problems, which became more of an accelerator of the issues. I mean, look at the riots and protests that's going on, which in my view have a lot to do with the wealth gap problem. But um, And, uh, you know, you don't see riots. Uh, protests on racism make sense. And I, I guess, um, you know, have probably uh, not right. a, a huge to do with the wealth gap issues. But, you know, you don't see those types of riots of people, you know, breaking into stores and stealing things because of their because they're protesting for uh, uh, of racism. Uh, I think that it has to do with a wealth gap problem, personally. But uh, which right. I also don't see any time soon that that's going to change, considering what the Federal Reserve has been doing. So there's always a lot of implications on any policy you create, and you know, we're seeing some of them now. And um, you know, my favorite asset class is precious metals, as you know, and gold, yeah. silver, and miners, and I mean, this has nothing but being uh, blue skies for 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 those for that part of the the markets, and uh, I've never felt so excited about something like I do with this. So, yeah, so uh, that's a lot of things. Uh, so let's break that down. So, you know, Donald Trump said that uh, you know it's not a V, it's a rocket ship, and you know the market's rallying on terrible news. There's terrible numbers, and you know, actually, if you look at the jobs data. It was apparently it was actually supposed to be 16.3 percent, and they actually added three million jobs because there were people who were employed but they were not actually working. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so where do you think? Or so uh, where do you think we're headed from here? You know, the Nasdaq is at new all-time highs. The S&P is positive for the year. So where do you think we're headed from here? Well, first of all, I think it's a probability game. It's it's hard. You know, people ask me, "What's your target?" I have no targets. I just, <laughs> I just uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the probabilities of, of what's the percentage that probably would uh, going up versus going down, and what's the risk reward of doing that trade. And I think that the it's not attractive uh, for buying equity markets at today's levels. Um, and you know, I I obviously was. Um, I wouldn't say I uh, wouldn't say you know wrong because I never said that the equity markets will continue to go down. I just said that there is a high probability of that happening. So in terms of probability, perhaps my probability uh, was a little bit understated on uh, on uh, the possibility of markets moving back to all time highs. I really didn't think that that was going to happen. Um, personally, I don't think and- anyone did. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's a few people that you know I'll give credits to that definitely were more in line with that thought and, uh, and since the you know since April or so, and um, I've never saw that coming. I, I thought that the implications of the the crisis would uh, would uh, would not allow that uh, movement uh, to happen, and uh, we really shifted. I mean, you know, I, I just posted a chart in profit as you saw, and profits are uh, you know profit margins are plunging. Um, and uh, especially estimates right now, which that was the chart and diverging completely mm-hmm. from stock prices. And uh, now we're seeing this, uh, you know, Robin Hood traders uh, bragging that they're doing well. And uh, we're seeing, you know, fundamentalist uh, people that really look into 10Ks and 10Qs. I mean, that whole strategy has been thrown in the trash. Um, you know, fundamentals right. don't matter anymore. I mean, I completely disagree with all those statements. I, I think that that's just phases of the market. It's not a healthy market. It's not, by the way, you know, this type of euphoria, that's not what you see at the market, at the bottom of the market. That's what you see at the peak of the market. So, no, you didn't see that in 09. I guarantee you, 09 was a very depressive moment where uh, it made sense for you to buy equities because nobody wanted to buy equities. Now you have companies going bankrupt and people are, um, you know, are buying those companies when it's time to sell, not to buy. So, 
uh, or calling Warren Buffett an idiot. You know, it's, it's quite a lot of, of issues right now, and in, in terms of sentiment that I'm I'm uh, perplexed by, and I I don't I don't think that that's sustainable. Uh, your question on word, I think I think uh, it has only increased uh, the probability that I thought it was that we're going to have more long-term issues with equity markets going forward. Uh, you know, what did I get wrong? What did I get right for the last two months? Well. I obviously, I didn't think the markets would be where it is right now, but I, I definitely, um, I, th I definitely saw this this commodity uh, uh, improvement uh, coming. I I was long oil um, back then, and when most people were not long oil because oil uh, traded negative. And um, right. in my view, uh, you know, if equity markets are going to go back to all time highs, uh, my view was that oil wouldn't be trading, uh, you know, anywhere close to below twenty dollars a barrel. I think that has been proven right, but. Uh, especially gold. I mean, I just don't see a, a organic growth in, in in the economy anytime soon. And uh, so, you know, equity markets are going to have to be driven by monetary policy, uh, which there will be a moment in which that relationship breaks, um, as we right. all know. Um, so, uh, well, actually, I don't think all, we all know. I think a lot of people don't know that. And a lot of people believe that central banks will always have the markets back. And that's not true historically. Uh, and I agree that it is unprecedented. The word unprecedented is being used so many times now, but it is unprecedented level of, of uh, monetary policy that we're seeing recently. But um, I'm just not not a believer that uh, that this is uh, uh, this is going to be a, a sustainable uh, bull market, uh, especially given uh, the levels of euphoria that we're seeing. So um, I think there's a lot of underlying issues in the economy and. Um, I think, you know, buying mm -hmm. NASDAQ today just makes no sense to me. I, I'd much rather buy, you know, a, a mining company and, and get involved into buying uh, mining companies that are not priced into this uh, environment that we're seeing today. And trust me, there's a lot of companies in that position right now. And mm -hmm. markets only focus on the large miners. And while, you know, uh, all of us here, we're uh, really focused on the very um, you know, small and 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 just uh, beginning of stories of exploration stories in in this industry. I mean, there's really a lot of opportunity there. Um, so, anyways, uh, we're excited. I mean, we're actually uh, be launching more more of a a activist role uh, in the mining space. More and uh, uh, I couldn't be more excited about this. I I think that that's a lot more important than than buying technology uh, businesses today, in my view. So let's stick with monetary policy for a minute. So what do you think all this printing will lead us to? The Fed balance sheet has gone through the roof and, you know, they've just keep printing and printing and printing. And where do you already think this is headed? And Donald Trump has been putting pressure on Jerome Powell for a very long time to make rates negative. So what are the implications of negative rates on the market? Well, I think I think it's well. The implications is to look at the banks. Uh, number one, um, you know, until uh, one or two weeks ago, Wells Fargo was down fifty percent year to day. That's a large bank, um, you know, with a lot of assets and and so forth. And what we're seeing is a lot of the banks are having issues to uh, um, uh, to really uh, um, uh, be successful in their businesses. And um, the Federal Reserve is 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 hamstrung, and and we've seen this situation many times in history. And uh, right now, the Fed is perhaps tapering some of their monetary stimulus. And this this is a fact, not an opinion. Since the March lows, we've had like probably close to five, four, three hundred billion dollars a week uh, of monetary stimulus. Now we're seeing close to 60 
Um, so pretty interesting. At the same time as government debt is is and, and treasury issuance is, is growing a lot faster. Our public debt grew by $130 billion in the last 14 days. And think about that. That's that's huge. And Fed is just, you know, limited and, and forced to suppress long-term rates because of the situation with, with the government. Um, you know, so so the more they suppress rates and the more they expand their monetary base, I mean, uh, that that is just a supercharged supercharged environment for for precious metals in general. Why we like precious metals, but looking to a little further of the stimulus package so far, you can see there are a lot of the you know, last uh, not in the last two weeks, but the last weeks, uh, most of it has been coming on mortgage-backed securities uh, and asset-backed securities that have been uh, being a huge part of their purchases. Which is pretty interesting, you know. There's uh, where there's mm-hmm. smoke, there's fire, and I think I think there's something there um, to, uh, especially when you see REITs uh, underperforming overall uh, markets. Um, so, uh, where is going to lead us? Answering your question, well, most likely it will lead us to to some inflationary problems in some some time. Uh, I don't need to answer that question in terms of when it's going to be the inflationary problems, but it will definitely be. Uh, in my view, a uh, it will cause uh, inflation at some point. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it first what it leads to is 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 that investors begin uh, to look for alternatives of, of of monetary systems, and that's why you see the rush into Bitcoin and gold and silver, um, and, right. and and so and miners. You know, that's really where uh, the V-shaped recovery has has been, uh, and in a lot of those places, they they actually been leading the markets. Um, uh, for for the last uh, months and weeks, um, and I think they will continue to do so. Um, you know, the whole idea of buying gold and selling stocks, and when I say buy gold, is buying precious metals in general. I think that's still the case in my view. I, I think it's much more right. attractive to do that than doing the other. Um, so, um, anyways, I think I think it's very likely that we might see uh, inflationary problems at some point. Um, again. You know, gold can do really well in deflationary problem and deflationary periods as well. I mean, look at what's happening now, especially after '09 or '08 uh, or so, right. with gold took off and and silver took off during a very deflationary uh, uh, period. Um, and so, you know, I'm not too worried about answering that part in terms of what's going to happen with precious metals, but I think it's important to know that. You, know, you don't you don't need to be a, a you know a math genius to know that it's it's at some point that's not gonna end well um, and you know obviously a lot of companies depend on this uh, easy money policies uh, that we're seeing for some some time now and uh, at some point it's gonna be hard I mean if we have inflation rising you can't really print more money and low interest rates you have to actually take care of uh, of of that pressure and that's exactly what happened in the seventies. Uh, it could be an environment like this, and 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 the more they you know they they do what they're doing, I think the more um, you know we're going to see investors coming to the side of of looking for those monetary alternatives, right. um, which that's where I feel excited about. Right, and in your April letter, you said JNUG, which is the junior mining ETF, was a historically amazing investment. It has about doubled to triple since then. So, are you still long, and where do you think it'll go? Oh, JNUG? Um, no, I, I, we don't buy JNUG at Crescat. We are... Uh, we're, so just we're, uh, stocks specific. We're just talking about miners, yeah. JNUG, we're actually... What we're referring to uh, about JNUG uh, was the issue of uh, an ETF that was 
uh, completely broken, especially in March and during the March lows uh, period, mm -hmm. and that were causing a lot of the miners, you know, because of the outflows from the ETF was causing, um, you know, the decline of a lot of other um, stocks related to mining. Um, so uh, that gave us an opportunity. We came out and said that that was the real blood in the streets, it was the miners, and uh, worked out well. Um, and 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 save us from uh, from being down because of the market updates. Um, you know we're still net short the entire time while markets were you know going back to all time highs and because of their long positions on gold and precious metals it really helped us to uh, stay in the game. Uh, and I think that's what's important. You're never going to get everything right, but as, as long as your uh, overall thesis still works, um, I think that that's that's how uh, investors should be looking at. It. Most investors do that. Um, Anyways, right. I, I think, you know, I think that JNUG is, is definitely not a, pro, a product that uh, I would I would tell anybody to be looking at as a purchase. I'm much more interested in uh, doing or work uh, in the diligence on the most prolific projects, mining projects in the world today, regardless if it's a, a producer, a junior producer, or explorer. I think all those um, those parts of the industry look attractive today. And um, yeah, uh, this is a. As interesting as it gets, as a, as an industry, as an industry, and and, and just seeing mm -hmm. the the overall interest uh, of of you know increasing recently is 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 uh, very reaffirming of of our thesis. Moving on to China, where do you stand on the renminbi and the Hong Kong dollar at the moment? Oh this well, it, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Go on. Oh no, I I just think it's funny how DXY has been getting demolished recently, uh, not demolished, but down significantly. We don't see those moves very often of that DXY, or I should say the dollar versus the Euro versus British pound versus uh, that's what most of the weights are in DXY uh, versus the yen, um, you know, is down significantly on uh, DXY index. And at the same time as the yuan, uh, you know, is, 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 is you know, USDCNY, which is the inverse uh, relationship there. Uh, is holding up pretty well there, you know, above the seven handle, uh, which it is uh, very bearish. I mean, when you, you know, when you think about the dollar weakness recently, which has been massive recently, how in the world is the yuan not, you know, uh, appreciating more versus the dollar? So that's interesting. Matter of fact, when you look at the last five years of performance, you've been normalized uh, versus most of the more, the bigger economies in the world. Uh, you know, yes, which is the, the currency that they value the most um, in the last five years? Well, number one would be the British pound. Uh, number two would be the yuan. Uh, how many people know that? <laughs> Nobody knows that, actually. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I believe that we are, you know, in that book of the Thucydides trap idea of, of Grand Allison. I, I think that that's, um, you know, 12 out of those uh, rising power challenges have uh, turned out to be uh, a war. I believe that not necessarily a war scenario, but um, I believe that that's uh, that's sort of what we're seeing today. Um, I I think that that's uh, uh, clearly we're seeing uh, the the coronavirus has really exposed the China's Communist Party intentions to the world. Um, I think that that's uh, you know if you look at real estate value in China, we're not seeing any V-shaped recovery. Um, you know, right. We just had double digits decline in Chinese imports. I thought China was coming back to normal. How in the world their 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 imports is, is down uh, double digits uh, more recently? So that's kind of that makes no sense, right? 
Um, um, right. Now we're seeing this Hong Kong political crisis heating up again. You know, the poor, poor living standards of, of the area, uh, which is caused by how expensive it is to live in Hong Kong, you know, really gives, uh, fuels the, the population to, uh, to be, you know, they, they have no fear to and, and nothing to lose in order to, uh, um, to really continue to protest against the situation and the intervention of the CCP in the country. We're seeing some Taiwan becoming more part of the mix of the uh, of this uh, political crisis, which you know Taiwan has always been part of China's uh, grand strategy of take over Taiwan. And matter of fact, that that was supposed to happen in 2020. And guess where we are, 2020. Um, and uh, there's a whole book about that, very interesting. And we still believe that you know buying gold in renminbi terms is is perhaps one of the best trades you can do. Um, you know, I think it's a uh, this decline in the dollar is creating a very interesting entry point for um, uh, our entry opportunity to short a lot of other currencies like the Australian dollar, the Canadian dollar, emerging market currency, currencies in general, uh, you know, the Hong Kong dollar. I mean, it's it's all positive if you're, uh, you know, if you're not on those trades, that creates a, a really interesting entry point in my view. Um, I think the days for U.S.-China trade deal are long gone. I think this is a bipartisan um, idea, um, and uh, you know, I think well, you know, China being the manufacturing plant of the, of the world, it's going to take some time for that shift to happen. But it, that's China's economic strategy: is to export products and services to the world. I'm not sure that's going to be the case in the next ten years. Um, so, you know, our, our trade here, being long gold and remember terms, is, in my view, a, a very important trade here, and. The, and when we look at current account in China, which we've noted uh, this uh, many times, uh, being a problem, you know, the shrinking current account issue is is something that uh, will probably not change anytime soon, especially linked to this uh, shift away from China being the manufacturing plant of the world. Um, so a lot of things to unpack there, but um, you know, I think that that's uh, you know, the Chinese remember. Uh, at a time when DXY is devaluing so much versus other major currencies, you know, who would have thought that Yuan would still be trading at, at, at above the seven handle? Um, and I think that that's very telling of the weakness of their currency and the lack of demand and and right. and, the, and then that imbalances that we've always uh, noted about China, which, you know, it, I think that's a big part of the problem. Uh, some people have said, well, but people have been bearish on, on China for so long and Nothing has happened. That's not true at all. Um, like I said, look at the Chinese renminbi. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely devaluing a lot more than, than other currencies out there, and and it, there is a reason for that. Uh, and if you're if you're if you're in that trade, you know that you've made money uh, by being short that you won um, in in the last five years. Um, you know, that's just a, a fact. So uh, we're excited. We think there's more to go there, and um, you know, I think. Um, a lot of, you know, look at unemployment rate, consumer confidence, a lot of the numbers reported by China obviously uh, inflated, uh, you know, how, how, you know, how, how is it possible that, you know, every place in, in, in the world had issues with unemployment rate rising, but China barely did. Uh, consumer confidence in China is near all time highs, which almost every place in the world that dropped significantly in March or so, and China that never really happened. So I think there's a lot of um, obvious um, uh, macro index, uh, index uh, indices that are that are showing 
um, you know, uh, that China is not being truthful about uh, a lot of those numbers they report. But I, I don't think that's anything new. I, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, implications from uh, if we think we really are in more of a depressionary environment right. than, uh, than most people think. And I, I think personally, the economy really is in that environment. I mean, I don't think we're going to be coming back with employment uh, in the U.S. and, and the world. Um, you know, very soon. So uh, those in- implications of that will be will be pretty big. And a lot of people say to me, "Well, you know, if you, you know, especially in the U.S., well, the government will still cover up those 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 issues and by creating programs and um, you know, especially you know, uh, perhaps uh, more helicopter money that we've seen so far. And you know, if we're gonna see that, great. I mean, I don't think any of us own enough gold uh, because you know that's why gold is taking off and. That just means we're not having organic growth and what we're seeing is just more innovation by governments and central banks. And that's all positive for gold, in my view. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy on side of the portfolio of uh, NASDAQ being all, near all time highs. Obviously, it's not how I was, I was positioned, how we were positioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly gold is is, uh, is taking off and it's great. So um, I guess that's my overall view on this. And so sticking with China for a minute, so tell us about your views on the China and the financial or banking bubble. You've called it a $42 trillion Ponzi scheme ripe to implode. So uh, where do you stand on it now and why? Well, I think that that's still uh, a, a problem. I mean, I don't think you, you, you can build up a, this same level of, of a banking system and not have issues. Um, and the biggest problem is to goes back to that organic growth. It's really hard for you to create organic growth when you have that much levels of, uh, of, of, of indebtedness in the country. Um, um, I think, you know, China's uh, communist leadership uh, also avoids uh, capital inflows from a lot of investors uh, because of that political leadership. Um, and I think right now, I, I can't see that that's going to improve anytime soon. I think it's only going to get worse uh, given the situation with the virus. Um, we've we've seen a lot of defaults of, of companies and you know money printing uh, obviously uh, goes a long ways to uh, to help a lot of those uh, in liquidity injection to help a lot of those um, um, those state-owned companies in China. Uh, you know the the level of intervention is is a lot more direct than here in the U.S. So you know that's the right. um, perhaps one um, one benefit of a communist party in the country is that level of intervention uh, is much more direct. Um, and that's the case. I, I still think that it's, uh, you know, it, it could it could easily become a problem and it is becoming a problem. Like I said, I mean, any normal uh, economy in the world is seeing their currency appreciating versus the dollar. But China, you know, um, you know, we all remember if you follow the China very closely, you know that you won trading above seven versus the dollar, right. the dollar USDCNY trading above seven is a key handle. Um, we continue to see this as, a, as an issue. Um, in terms of the situation with the banking system, um, I think I think it just, you know, goes back to the idea of the organic growth. I really don't think China can uh, be responsible for 60% of global GDP growth in the next 10 years. Um, you know, perhaps that was part of the last 10 years. Uh, which is funny because when you look at commodities and a lot of who is the largest importer of commodities in the world China. today is China. Well, 
uh, how in the world China uh, commodities uh, commodities market had one of their worst decades in history uh, when China is 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 supposedly uh, you know buying commodities um, like no one ever right. did before. So that's kind of interesting. Um, and you know, I, I think I think that that those the implications of the the, the banking imbalances that we have in China um, are issues that we see also in Australia and Canada in the housing markets. It's related to the housing markets and property developers in China, uh, which you know we see hundreds of billions of dollars uh, worth of losses in in those businesses. Almost um, you know, especially when you accumulate that over over the years. Uh, while you know the the net debt situation, that's including cash, um, you know, the more conservative way of looking at this continues to spike up in those areas, and mm-hmm. you know, so it's hard to grow. Um, it, it's very hard to, uh, um, you know, to 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 be extremely wrong on China when you have, you know, the same is going to happen to the world. I mean, it's going to be difficult to see uh, growth, uh, you know, revamping revamping here anytime soon, in my view. Um, so. Uh, macro trade of the century looks as attractive as, as attractive as it gets, and and it had been working really well until uh, this last uh, uh, month or so, in which one of the lags obviously uh, took off the other way, which is equity markets. Uh, but the renminbi is still looks attractive. The gold mm-hmm. part looks attractive, uh, and the issues that we're seeing, especially in Hong Kong, and a lot of Chinese banks are uh, had businesses in Hong Kong. Um, you know, we're still seeing issues there. Uh, with uh, you know, with 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 Hong Kong banks in general uh, that uh, still look attractive as a shore. HSBC is is uh, is is a business that looks uh, uh, looks like it have a lot of issues in our view. Um, and a lot of those assets, when you look at you know leverage businesses like real estate in China, um, you know when you have a 10, 20, 15, sometimes even more than that percent uh, wow. losses in, in asset value. I mean that that really creates a problem if you're over leverage in, the, in those bins. I think those are a lot of the property developers and REITs in China, um, REIT type of businesses in China will, uh, will, will, you know, are already suffering from that and it only forces the PBOC to continue to add, uh, you know, liquidity to those those businesses. And, um, and it's why, you know, it's why we usually see gold in remembi terms uh, rising, uh, not falling. Uh, it's because you know there is uh, it is in a process of bursting. Um, I don't think it's going to be a soft landing like a lot of people do. But mm-hmm. the problem is it's hard to see um, you know uh, uh, economic numbers coming out from China showing uh, a huge decline. I mean it's, they just don't do that. So um, a lot of people are saying that we're wrong. They're also trusting the government data to say that. Um, it's interesting to me that so far this year Shanghai Composite. Uh, finally, now is 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 underperforming the S and P 500. Uh, you know, if this is indeed uh, a virus that was created in, as a bio bio uh, uh, biochemical or a biological uh, uh, sort of weapon, I think that that's um, obviously um, uh, kind of interesting to see that the uh, U.S. equities are now outperforming Chinese equities um, and uh, for year to date, and that's the case now. So. Anyways, I think there's a lot of things to also uh, uh, develop in uh, in the situation, but it's hard to see uh, mm-hmm. this relationship between uh, China with the Western world improving anytime soon. And if that's the case, uh, I still think that the Chinese currency has no, not not a lot of uh, future here uh, in terms of demand increasing anytime soon.
No, in 2008, when the U.S. financial system collapsed, you know, it spread all across the world. So what would a Chinese financial collapse mean for the world? You know, how dangerous would it be and how, you know, how much would it impact, say, the U.S., Europe and the other major countries in the world? I think it would be uh, really bad. It would bad. be disastrous. Um, yeah, um, you know, it's central banks have figured out that if they, you know, if they print money, uh, they can delay things from happening. Uh, at some point, uh, you know, obviously we're going to see the consequences of all this. The first consequence is the currency devaluations uh, that we're seeing across the globe, especially versus gold. Um, and, you know, I, I think that uh, emerging markets uh, are, are the places to uh, to suffer the most from this uh, Chinese uh, problem. Um, you know, how, how in the world we're going to see, you know, low cost of goods and services um, if if we do have, uh, you know, if we're going to be moving uh, manufacturing uh, um, from China to other places in developed economies, it's going to be very difficult. Um, you know, automation better better catch up to this uh, to this trend because otherwise, um, you know, obviously we're going to see a, a, a big decline in, in uh, or, or large increase in, in, in good ser- and, and services um, costs in general. Um, I think that that's that's still to happen, um, but uh, in terms of growth, I mean, obviously, growth will be uh, uh, disastrous if we do have uh, uh, China blowing up in terms of a credit burst, uh, bursting more of a scenario. And I, I think it's very uh, possible still, um, especially if we do have, let's say, another second, uh, let's just say, a second wave of the virus. I mean, there's so many things that could happen here uh, in the following in the following months and so many macro events that we had and enormity of those macro events are so, um, you know, significant and, and could have, you know, could happen to uh, uh, cause issues here again in the markets. I mean, we had U.S. and Iran uh, pretty much on the brink of a war recently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have the virus pandemic now, which could be a second wave here, uh, especially with the protests is rising. I mean, if we have a second wave, I mean, I think the whole world would be hugely impacted again. Um, and, and I don't think that those uh, equity markets be, you know, belong at the valuations that they are today. Um, so, you know, anyways, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of issues in, in Asian markets uh, and uh, the situation with uh, protests in Hong Kong, you know, will probably become uh, will continue to become an issue. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure a lot of businesses will be. Uh, you know, looking at Hong Kong as, as, as an opportunity to go there and, and build a, their, their financial service businesses in Hong Kong anymore. Um, and I think that will have an impact on uh, Asian currencies in general. Um, and um, anyways, I think there's uh, issues on the political side, issues on the financial side, right. issues with the uh, central bank side of, uh, of, of, of China. And um, um, Personally, I, I, I really think that the USC, CNYC, and H will be trading a lot higher in the next two to three years. And I thought that five years ago, and here we are again, 15% higher. Uh, I thought it would be a lot higher, but you know, at least it's higher. Um, and I think there's a lot more to go there. Now, moving on to Crescat's overall strategy, you know, you've got a very impressive and successful macro model. So what are some of the important factors that go into that model? Um, okay, so the models that we build, 
most times they're just uh, models that have a high correlation to the changes in the business cycle. Um, and idea of combining, uh, you know, value investing along with macro, I think it's important, um, you know, acknowledging that fundamentals matter and that uh, we should be looking at valuations as, as, as a critical uh, a metric of, of, of measurement of sentiment of, of, of what's going on. I mean, you never see equity markets bottom at record valuations. Tell me when that ever happened, never happens. Um, and then also mixing technicals, you know, technicals are, uh, you know, especially the part of, of volatility, implicit volatility in different asset uh, prices in general. I think it's important to understand that as a way of implementing those trades. Um, the, the idea of the macro model is, uh, is really combining a lot of those factors uh, into, uh, into one, one rank uh, that tells you where we are in the business cycle today. And, and, and then doing a lot of empirical analysis to figure out what are the best ways to really, um, to really position the portfolio. Uh, we've been doing a lot of that here um, and, and measuring uh, economic activity uh, in a way that is different than other people do. And that, that means, you know, mixing so many different uh, indices, even Google Trends and uh, different ways of, of looking at as a sentiment, as I said before. Um, sentiment is a huge part of, of understanding markets, along with liquidity and valuation, and macro, and, and the economic uh, scenario. Um, so, you know, this is just a part of the of, of what we do. And the the model you're referring to is just a 16-factor macro model uh, that was uh, just simple to uh, to put out to the world and easy to understand um, and and put things into perspective. But yeah, every time we put a model out. Uh, there's always going to be uh, critics of 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 how you know the world is different this time and blah 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 and um, you know we don't believe in that at all. We think we we truly believe in business cycles and that uh, you know we go from uh, we have booms we have busts and and we have periods in the middle um, that we should uh, you know that that gives us a lot of signals that we should be um, uh, positioning accordingly and. That's the case here right now. You know, I thought I thought the peak of the market was really uh, in March, in um, in February, um, and right now, uh, you know, we're back to pretty much the same level of uh, euphoria that we had before. In which, you know, you remember, I mean, uh, back in the days, uh, well, not back in the days, but actually back a few months ago, everyone was extremely. It's so funny how many people you know, uh, believe in, in the Bitcoin and the gold theory and all that um, because they think central banks, um, you know, can't win this game and, and, and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, the same people that, that, that don't believe in central banks also believe the central banks have the markets back. I don't understand that at all, uh, personally. I think that that's, um, you know, that's just, that's just a total fallacy to think that, that, that the central banks have control over equity markets. Um, you know, so I, I, uh, I think that at some point, uh, macro and fundamentals will matter. Um, and, and most of those guys are saying that, uh, will be caught by surprise and, and, you know, and, and they will change their views and that that's what, what, how the world works. And, uh, and if you're not positioned accordingly, uh, you actually, you actually get trapped. So I don't think the risk reward of doing those things, uh, makes any sense today, but, Going back to your question, macro models is a huge part of what we do. Equity models, valuation, economic-related um, uh, models, and measuring activity of, 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 of the economy 
is is a huge part of what we do and um i think that that's um part of the the process and how of the investment process how we evolve uh, as a firm and uh you know we're excited about uh, different ways of, of of measuring uh that I, I still think there's tremendous uh, value to be created as an investor um if you create those models i think that's uh, that's a way of not letting the you know not not being conflicted with narratives that are being told and out there, first of all. And number two, uh, you know, also have your discretion and not be just a systematic strategy in which right. you you just have models uh, telling you what to do. It's 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 a little bit of both. You know, earlier during the interview, you mentioned that you were looking to go short the Canadian dollar, the Australian dollar. So, you know, what are the factors you've looked at, you know, to you know, figure out that you wanted to go short those currencies? Well, um, first of all, I'm already short those currencies as of <laughs> two days ago. Uh, well, um, the factors are, uh, are, are many. I, I think to simplify is the whole idea of the dollar shortage problem. Uh, recently, we've had, and I post this chart, uh, last, uh, for the first time in 16 years, we've had the Fed's balance sheet actually being higher than the PBOC's balance sheet. And it goes to show how um, a lot of central banks uh, outside of the U.S. are really limited uh, from, from printing money and injecting liquidity. I think that that's, that's, uh, that's uh, not going to take a long time until central banks and other places of the world uh, will have to uh, continue to print even more money. And this was always the, the thesis behind uh, the situation. The problem is um, you know, we've had, uh, you know, perhaps the Fed really uh, uh, went a little too much relative to the rest of the world and what's causing this weakness recently. And, you know, markets don't go up on a straight line. We've had, you know, this pullbacks in the dollar, pullbacks on gold, uh, pullbacks in equity markets, and it's normal. I think we're having a pullback on the dollar. I, I don't think that the, the any other alternative in the world of uh, as a monetary system looks better than the dollar. I don't think the euro, the yen, the British pound, the Canadian dollar, the Australian dollar, and any emerging market currency that you want. Um, I, I I think the dollar is still is the reserve currency and is the only uh, currency that that perhaps have uh, enough demand that can continue to be part of the game for some time. So I think that uh, you know we're in the race to the bottom of currencies overall. Uh, especially fiat currencies, uh, you know, uh, outside of the U.S. And, um, you know, if I believe that, you know, if I believe in gold and the gold thesis, I think gold is going to rise, but especially relative to other currencies. So being long gold in, in Canadian dollar, being long gold in, in Australian dollar uh, makes a lot of sense right now to me, especially when you have RSIs and other technical numbers that have never been like that before. Look at RSI for gold in, in Canadian dollar, gold in and Australian dollar is, is extremely um, uh, um, low right now, which goes to show how, you know, perhaps the position there uh, sounds uh, sounds reasonable also on the technical side. The technical is a small part of it, but it definitely gives you a sense of uh, when the trend is about to about change. Um, and I think that's the case here. So building a position on those seems uh, reasonable to me. Um, you know, Brazilian Real, the Brazilian Real was trading almost a six. Uh, you know, when you look at USD BRL, and now it's trading at four point something, uh, you know, the highs of 4.8, 4.7. I mean, that's insane to me. I think that that's just completely unsustainable, and it will go back up uh, at least to five and a half or so. And for me, that's just a great uh, window of opportunity to uh, investors to take advantage of that. And we are, 
definitely uh, taking uh, a lot of positions in uh, in the currency markets recently. And um, we're still long the dollar, and uh, long the dollar is just a lag of our, our trades, and it's not something that will kill us. And uh, but it's something that I see as another asymmetric opportunity uh, to uh, to still continue to work going forward. And I see this as a pause, not as a, as the end of the trade, mm -hmm. personally. But how do you minimize emotions when it comes to investing? You know, a lot of people, you know, even right now, you know, they're just jumping on the euphoria train. Yeah, no, no, yeah, go on. Yeah, it's a very good question because I uh, talk to Kevin a lot about this. I mean, you know, I tweet uh, almost yeah. daily, and I hate when my tweets go. I mean, it's like a love-hate relationship. You know, I hate when my tweets kind of go around too much because it means <laughs> sometimes there's so many people agreeing with me, uh, and I love when I have. Uh, an idea that I put out and nobody really likes it. And the case was with oil, for instance, you know, emotionally it was very difficult to buy oil when oil went negative, <laughs> believe it or not. It sounds so, so easy right now, but you go back go back to my tweets back in April and March and you see um, how difficult that was. And uh, um, today it makes sense uh, for a lot of people, but that's also priced in now uh, as, as uh, the, you know, the sense of uh, normalcy of, of the of the oil market. But I think what keeps you grounded is, is the data uh, driven analysis driven. Uh, that's, uh, that's really where, um, uh, what, what supports your, your views and uh, where you should, uh, uh, you know, being a contrarian is, is a very important thing. Uh, especially if uh, uh, if you can find enough reasons to be a contrarian, and 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 that means being in an uncomfortable position of taking uh, a long position where most people don't want to take a position. Let's just say buying right. a dollar right now is for me. It's a very contrarian view uh, as of today. It wasn't a month ago. Today it is. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of people now talking about how the dollar is going to collapse and blah blah blah. You know, and, 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 you know, everyone becomes a dollar expert. Um, so it's, it's a time when you, you know, you want to uh, take a position the other way. Um, and perhaps that was the case with the March lows of the equity markets, you know, and uh, it was, it was a mistake from my side for not acknowledging that, uh, that, that the sentiment was perhaps too bearish. And I think it's the biggest reason why the market has been rising is more sentiment than liquidity. Personally, most people disagree with me on that. Um, and the reason for that is because, again, it's just math. Just look at the, the government issuance that we're seeing, um, you know, is, is it definitely dwarfs the levels of monetary stimulus that we're seeing uh, since, the, since those periods. So I think that the, the excessive uh, of, of bearishness in, in the markets at the time, you know, and, and people obviously thought the shorting was an easy game. And it's not an easy game. It's a very tough game. Um, and a lot of people went short. I know personally a lot of friends that were short the markets at the, at the time. You know that should all be signs for me that I shouldn't you know be as short as I was. But that's you know this is part of the game. You're not going to get everything right. Um, so emotionally, um, how do you how do you stay stable? I don't know. Just uh, I think data driven analysis is is key uh, for that. Uh, and and having a process rather than uh, just you know changing things around as as you go. So I think that that's uh, those are the big things in my view. Just the last couple of questions. So how do you go about sizing your trades and positions at Crestcat? So, you know, do you go all in, do you go for the juggler, you know, when 
the thesis and the data is on uh, data is on your side, or you know, do you like to stay diversified? Uh, it depends on the asymmetry, asymmetry of the trade, like the Hong Kong dollar, because of the uh, the implicit volatility, you know, allows us to go, you know, you know, three times uh, the you know the size of a fund on a trade like that, mm-hmm. uh, and it it doesn't. Uh, it's not a huge risk for us, you know. We're just risking a premium of uh, of the option, and if if the break, you know, if there's a break in the currency, well, you know, this could this could be the the trade of the year, the trade of the century for us. And uh, you know, we're only risking you know one one to even less than one percent of premium of uh, of of the NAV. So that those are the kind of the more interesting and bigger positions in terms of equities. Um, we don't have, you know, massive positions. We have been actually taking bigger positions in the mining space on companies. We think they're ridiculously undervalued right now. Um, and yes, we, we, we took some bigger positions uh, there. Uh, but usually we keep it very diversified. So if we like, let's say, precious metals, we just have a basket of, of ideas that, that kind of fit the uh, the precious metals space, for instance, uh, you know, building a whole selective uh, uh, number of, of of companies in the mining space that we think could, you know, do well in the next years and, and or so, and um, and and that evolves obviously obviously uh, 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 through our models, you know, using our fundamental models and doing due diligence and meeting with management and all that. I mean, most of what I've been involved in the, in the last. Um, few weeks have been uh, actually getting in calls with uh, CEOs of uh, several different companies uh, in the mining space. And that's probably been almost 80% of my time spent uh, just on, on getting into those calls and listening to the pitches and, uh, and getting involved in those, in those ideas. We'll be, we'll be, we'll be uh, um, uh, telling uh, people uh, in a few, uh, maybe next week actually, uh, on an interview of what are some of those de- those deals and companies we've have been involved in a more um, uh, in a more activist uh, manner, but uh, our goal is, as I said, is is not to get killed on one position. So if we're long precious metals, pick a mix of those. We're short the markets. We're you know picking uh, the most overvalued uh, equity uh, uh, stocks in in the world today, and doesn't necessarily need to be. Uh, in one particular industry, if we find that one industry has issues, we obviously will uh, will pick a basket in that pos- in that in that particular um, industry. So, for instance, uh, you know, banks in Australia, banks in Canada, uh, we, you know, especially Canada, we have a, a basket of Canadian banks that we hold. Um, you know, we do that with uh, tech companies here in the U.S. Um, so, there's several different ways that that we look into. Uh, a lot of the things are very diversified. And the, the bigger positions are just because they don't cost a lot for us to do it. So that's the way we do it. And to wrap up the interview, what are your top three tips for investors? Ooh, top three. Um, <laughs> you put me on the spot. We'll see. Oh, okay. So I would say uh, pay attention to uh, uh, and measure liquidity as much as you can. Uh, liquidity is a priority always in uh, and, you know, I think the other thing that is important and related to liquidity is understanding sentiment um, and understanding when you are in a trade that nobody else is or, you know, you're really being a contrarian. Understanding what being a contrarian really means and 
most of the opportunities, um, you know, really the best opportunities you find in the markets are usually contrarian takes and uh, doesn't need to be every part of the, your portfolio needs to be contrarian, but it, it's, it's just something to keep in mind that when people are agreeing with you too much, perhaps that's not a good uh, trade. Um, and uh, um, I think I think building models is is an important thing, and learning how to build models is is very important to uh, um, to create uh, those narratives that you uh, um, that you end up creating, and 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 figuring out you know the the best trades out there, and how to implement those trades is is being uh, capable of building models, and building models uh, is is a skill that I think most investors uh, should have, in my view especially if you're more in the macro world, which there's so much to cover uh, that you won't cover everything, you know, never. So, so you might as well have models uh, helping you to, to do that. Um, so I would say that that's, that's uh, the other thing. Did I say three? I think I said three. Sentiment, liquidity, and modeling. Um, I think those are um, the three things I would, I would, uh, I would uh, emphasize. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's great having you on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and uh, I had a great conversation with you. Thanks.